Welcome to this podcast from The Well, a United Methodist Church in Rosemount, Minnesota. Thank you for taking the time to listen. For more information, please check us out at thewellmn.church. Grace and peace be with you. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning and welcome to worship. I am Pastor Ed and I am honored to be with you as we worship together this morning. A lot of good things happening at the well. Let's go through our announcements. Wednesday night dinners, if you missed last Wednesday, oh boy, you missed some fun. We all dressed Minnesotan. It was nasty. (laughs) We ate hot dishes. It was fun. It was just a great event. This week, Sloppy Joe's, Baked Beans. I mean, it's just good food. It's just good fellowship. It's just come join us. It's it's a no-brainer. We'd love to see you on Wednesday nights. After the dinner, we have a lot of things happening. There's activities for children and for youth. There's pickleball, there's choir, there's a men's Bible study at 7.30, and there is a group that meets in the chapel called What Does It Mean to Be Affirming? That meets uh, Wednesday nights. They are going through Tyler Sitt. It's a book, Staying Awake. Tyler Sitt is a pastor here in the Twin Cities, a great guy and a very progressive thinker, and it's a good framework for what they're discussing. So all are welcome. If you haven't been before, you're not too late, you can go join them. They would welcome you with open arms. What else do we have? Chili cook-off, March 3rd. How many more Sundays is that next week? Holy cow, I can't wait. So if you're cooking, if you're eating, if you're donating something for the silent auction, this is your week to get it done. We appreciate everybody's participation. We are blessed. Um, the current... The, The finance team and the elected leadership team have done a lot of work on the church finances. When we had our annual meeting, you saw that we were projecting a budget that was going to lose almost $90,000 in 2024. And we thought, how are we going to do this? Because our our monthly mortgage payment is over $16,000 a month. And we considered a lot of different options. And the option we've come back to, which is a really good one, is to stay the course, to stay with our current mortgage because it's a 3.5% mortgage and it's paying down the debt at the rate of $14,500 a month. That's amazing. So this is a really good approach, but it requires some money in the meantime to sort of get us over the hump. And so we started a 30-day campaign and Jerry said it's up to 79000 Is that right? $79,000. Can I get an amen? That's great news. Every dollar donated to that is going to go to the mortgage, but we're going to use it over to, to help us through this, this period of, you know, in, this, in the meantime, to get us through these mortgage payments. We need more. Now, 79000 is a great number. Here's a number that's not so great. Twelve families have donated. Well, that's great. Twelve families, $79,000. That's a lot of money. For tw- yes, it is. But what's wrong with the number 12? <laughs> I happen to know we have more than 12 families at the church. Pastor Ed and Rosie hadn't donated yet. We've got a check in the, in the offering today for this campaign. Now, maybe you can't be a big donor. I understand. I can't be a big donor either. But you could give $500. You could give $200. Or you could commit, as one family has done, to a monthly payment for three years. Of course, that would be very helpful, too. This mortgage will be gone in three years at this rate. So if you can do a monthly payment every month of 
$50, $25, whatever it can be, it could make a difference. Or you can make a one-time payment. And it doesn't have to be a big donation, but a one-time payment will help us because we can do better than 12 families, can't we? Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. Let's go. I'm excited. It's going to be a good thing. And we're going to be able to tell Pastor Chad, look what we've done. Look at this. We'll celebrate it. Next, what do we have? Holy Week is coming up, of course. We are in the season of Lent. Palm Sunday is March 24th. We have a Wednesday night Vespers, um, Friday night Stations of the Cross, and of course Easter Sunday with our regular worship schedule of 9 and 10.30. And a special surprise on Easter Sunday, we are going to be doing, there we go, (laughs) an egg hunt in between services. This is the scaled-down version of last year's egg hunt, and we're very excited about this. Um, I think it's going to be a a, a very exciting event. My grandkids are already excited about it. I hope that you'll be able to participate in that as well. If you want to get Easter flowers, that's the previous slide. Today is the last Sunday to order those. I think there's order forms out at at the information desk. We appreciate your donations. Is there anything else here? I think that's everything. Is everybody okay? I'm not. Would you do this for me? Take a deep breath. (sighs) Thank you. That helps. Please rise as you are able for our call to worship. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you, O God, I place my trust. Make known your paths. Lead me in your truth. Your kingdom is coming near. Be present in our midst. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you, O God, I place my trust. Amen. There's a structure to all this. About four weeks ago, we heard about a story about a blind man who was healed. And it may not stand out because that happens fairly often in the scriptures, but this story was different because it took Jesus two tries. I love that one. The first time he heals them, the guy says, yeah, I can see, but I see people, they look like trees walking around, not quite so right. And that optometrist Jesus said, well, then try this lens, I don't know. <laughs> Take some two tries. And, and to me, that shows the humanity of Jesus, that he didn't always get things right the first time, and I, I kind of like that and relate to it. But there's probably a, a deeper interpretation The Gospels, trying to inspire faith in all of us, trying to teach us to be disciples, are pointing out that the disciples themselves don't always get it right. We're going to see an example of that today. They sort of understand, but their faith is like seeing men who are trees walking. They need it clarified. They need it focused. And that's sort of the context that we come to today because we have the, 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 the restoring of the sight to a man named Bartimaeus. But in between, remember all those interesting stories. We had Jesus casting out the demons of a wild man and the demons going into the pigs. Remember all that drama that we read? That's a fun story. Okay. Then we saw a powerful man, Jairus, run to Jesus and fall down on his knees and ask for help. And then we saw a desperate woman on her knees reaching out to touch the hem of his garment. 
And the next week we saw a rich man falling down on his knees and asking Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Notice all these people are coming to Jesus to be healed or to be clarified, to learn something, to gain something from him. And today's no different. Jesus starts with the prediction, this passage starts with the prediction about Jesus' death and resurrection. They, that's the disciples, Jesus, and the followers, were on their way up to Jerusalem. I can't always have to stop at this point. They're coming from Galilee in northern Israel to Jerusalem in southern Israel. What would we say in Minnesota? They're going down south. In Israel, you go up south and down north. <laughs> I know, it's just the whole world's upside down, backwards. <laughs> it's because Jerusalem is the highest elevation in the south. So when they walk from the north to the south, they're going up physically. So they're going up south to Jerusalem. I, I just always have to stop and look at that. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. Hmm, why are they astonished? Astonished isn't a powerful word. I'm astonished sometimes. Something I didn't expect. But it's true. But no, crazy. What is it that's catching their attention like that? While those who followed, see, not just the disciples were with Jesus, there was a following. Those who followed were afraid. Why are they afraid? Because they're going to Jerusalem. That's where all the Romans are gathering at this time for the Passover to suppress any rebellions. And I've talked about that before. There's a history of rebellions in Jerusalem during the Passover, which I think is what gets Jesus killed, but we could talk more about that some other time. So they're following along afraid because they're kind of going to a dangerous place. They're leaving Galilee, their homeland, and going to this place where something bad might happen. Taking the twelve aside again, Jesus told them what was about to happen to him. Look, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, the human one. Now Jesus is talking about himself in the third person. It literally says the son of man. And it's a very complicated term because in the Old Testament, Son of Man has both a religious and a secular meaning. I don't know which way he meant it, but he's talking about himself. We're going up to Jerusalem. The human one will be handed over to the chief priest and the legal experts. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the who? Gentiles. Did I get a definition of Gentile? Non-Jewish. Okay, we'll come back to that. They will ridicule him, spit on him, torture him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise up. This is one of the passion predictions in Mark. I got all the way to seminary before I knew the word passion meant suffering. I always thought it was something romantic. Now I've gotten to this age, romance and suffering, it's... <laughs> After three days, he will rise up. James and John, Zebedee's sons. I remember all the way back to when we were in Galilee. On the Sea of Galilee, there were these fishermen. James and John, they worked for their father Zebedee, who had a group of boats 
that went out in the galley, they're fishermen. James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were two of Jesus' disciples, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. In other words, could you just sign a blank check and leave it on the desk? <laughs> we just want you to say yes to anything we're going to say. Hmm. Interesting. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They said, allow one of us to sit on your right and the other on your left when you enter into your glory. We're not entirely sure what that means. Are we talking about heaven? Jesus sitting on a throne? Who gets to sit his right and his left? James and John said dibs. We've got that spot. Are they asking this because they need help? Because they are suffering somehow? Or is it because they want to benefit from this? You'll notice in all the miracles Jesus does, Jesus never performs a miracle to just help himself. He can be hungry in the wilderness for 40 days and starving, and he won't turn stones into bread. Not that he couldn't, but he won't, because his ministry is not about just helping himself. And here are the 12 disciples, the people who were supposed to know him, coming to Jesus and saying, we kind of want spots of honor for all the things we're doing. Okay? Next. Jesus replied, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or receive the baptism I receive? Okay. Please speak more clearly, Jesus. On the night before he's crucified, Jesus says, take this cup from me. So that cup reference might be to the, the, the martyrdom, the death he's going to suffer. The baptism I'm baptized with, I don't know. Technically, he's baptized by John the Baptist. They were baptized too. Is this symbolic or is it? The truth is, I don't know what he's asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or receive the baptism I receive? And they say, we can, they answered. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and receive the baptism I receive. And most of the disciples go on to be martyred. The history of the disciples after Jesus' time is a lot of them die in their witness to the faith. So maybe that's what he's referring to. It's still kind of hard to understand. But to sit at my right hand or left hand isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom it was prepared. <laughs> Couldn't he have said that first? <laughs> Not my decision who sits there and who sits there. Uh, don't worry about it. But this, this little passage tells you these disciples aren't in this for others. They're kind of in it for themselves. And it continues. Now, when the other ten disciples heard about this, they became angry with James and John. How dare you ask him for that? I was going to ask him. <laughs> I'm, he likes me better. If he's going to put somebody in his right hand, it's me. They don't get it either, do they? At this point, they still think being a disciple is about somehow being something special, about being blessed the way other people aren't blessed, about getting some great gift, some reward. That's not what this is about. See, there, see, I'm going back to that metaphor. They're the blind men who can kind of see, but not clearly. I, I think that fits here. 
Jesus called them over and said, you know the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles. Show off their authority over them and their high-ranking officials order them around. Now, if you study the Roman Empire, it is as hierarchical as any system that's ever been created. And depending where you are in the hierarchy, where you are in the pyramid, you are bossed around by the people on top of you, and the people below you, you get to boss around. And the higher up you are, the more you want to show off your authority. I'm powerful. I can tell you what to do, and I can tell you what to do, and I can tell you what to do, but, oh, i got to do what you tell me. <laughs> There's this system of power. You know that the ones, oh, that's all right, but, those, but that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to have the honor of sitting near Jesus in heaven, it doesn't come by being powerful. It doesn't come by being famous. It doesn't come by being lucky to be 12, one of the 12. It comes from serving other people. You want to see what ministry is about? You want to see who Jesus really is? It's a call to serve other people, not yourself. Is that still true? Yeah. Do we still have trouble with it? Yeah. Especially pastors. I could tell you stories. <laughs> Whoever wants to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. Hmm. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho, and geographically, we've gone from the Sea of Galilee down the Jordan River, and we're going to go up this final hill to Jerusalem. Jericho is down by the Dead Sea, the lowest spot in the world. Beautiful city. Now they've got to go up to the, what's the Valley of Death, we'll talk about that sometime, into, into Jerusalem. And in Jericho, as Jesus was leaving Jericho together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, was sitting beside the road. I got asked beforehand, let's go back to that slide. I got asked beforehand, what language was this written in? Koine Greek. It's the common Greek of the time. Because Jesus and the disciples spoke Greek, right? Jesus and the disciples were Jewish. They spoke Aramaic, which is a form of Hebrew. But the earliest gospel ever written, Mark's, is written in Greek. And it's not written for Jews. And you know how we know? Because of lines like this. There's a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And my translation says, which means Timaeus' son. When you put bar in front of a name, the son of. Hmm. Why would Mark need to explain what the word Bartimaeus means? Because the people who are reading it don't understand. They're Gentiles. Mark says in other places, he says, there's a tradition among Jews that they wash their hands before they eat and they wash their vessels in ceremonies. Why is he writing that? Not because the people who are reading it are Jewish. They already know those things. He's writing it for people who don't understand. It's like if you're writing a letter to someone who lives, I don't know, in the tropics. I live in Minnesota. We play this game called hockey. It's on the ice with skates. 
You don't have to say that if you're writing to other Minnesotans. You've got to say that when you write to people who don't know what you're talking about. So he's giving us a little hint here. I'm writing to Gentiles. Wait a minute. Who are the Gentiles? We are. Oh, that's interesting. Is he writing to us? Okay. As Jesus, um, I can't remember where I am. Let's go back one more slide again. Thank you. As Jesus was leaving Jericho together, his disciples, a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. What's he asking? Show me mercy. He didn't shout out, I'm blind, I'm over here. <laughs> I could use a miracle. What's he asking? Show me some mercy. Show me some love. Show me some compassion for my situation. And the people around him don't like it. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet. But then he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. All right. Jesus stopped and said, Call him forward. They called the blind man. Be encouraged. Get up. He's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. This is all fascinating to me. Can you picture it? He's blind. He's desperate. He's on the side of the road. He's heard about Jesus. Maybe this guy can help me. He doesn't start with heal my sight. He starts with show me mercy. I remember Jesus, when he healed the paralytic, he, he forgave his sins first which upset everybody. That's not why we brought him here, you know. But here he is begging for mercy. He jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, teacher, I want to see. You notice who else at the beginning of the stories? Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? James and John, when they were asking for power. Now he's asking this blind man. And the blind man doesn't say, give me a blank check. Give me some great reward. Give me the basics. I want to see. Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see, and this is interesting, he began to follow Jesus on the way. going all the way back to the wild man who was demon-possessed in the cemetery. He's healed. He's in his right mind. And he tries to get in the boat with Jesus and the disciples, which I think would have made a great 13th disciple. I don't know what Jesus was thinking, but he says, no, you go and tell people what has happened for you. And now this man is healed and he can see, and he follows Jesus up the hill to Jerusalem. Bartimaeus could see better than the disciples when he was blind. The disciples can see with their eyes, but they don't understand with their hearts and soul what it means to be a disciple, to follow Jesus and to be a servant. This man who's physically blind says, that man shows mercy. That man helps other people who are sick or hurt or injured like me. 
And when he can see, he doesn't run off to celebrate. He follows Jesus to what is going to become Good Friday. I can't help but think that Mark has got these healing of these two blind men and all the stories in between to make us think. What do we want Jesus to do for us? How do we want to be helped? Show me mercy, Lord, is a good one. I'm all in favor of that. There's times I want to say, just show me mercy, Lord. Just love me. Give me that hug I want. Tell me it's going to be okay. Help me with my individual problems that prevent me from helping other people. As opposed to give me power, give me glory. We're in the season of Lent where we sort of examine our own souls on the way to Calvary. And I'm asking you the question, what is it you want Jesus to do for you? Grace to you and peace from God who is our Father, our Lord and Savior who is Jesus the Christ. Amen. As we go from here, never forget, we do not go alone. God's own Spirit goes with you, always ready to help you in your weakness. We go in confidence and joy, knowing that wherever we go, we are surrounded by the love and mercy of God. Amen.